Hello, welcome back to season two of the Machete and Quill podcast. This is the penultimate episode for The Witch of Farathon. That's right, this season we've been reading the novella The Witch of Farathon. If you're just joining us for the first time and you haven't listened to or read The Forest of Despair, don't worry. The Witch of Farathon can easily be enjoyed as a standalone novella with no knowledge of the other books in the series required. Just make sure to start back at chapter one of season two and listen in order. Being a novella, this will be a very quick read through. There are only 13 chapters, so with one per week, this is taking just around three months, and each episode is quite a bit shorter than in the previous season. If you would like to support my writing endeavors, please consider purchasing my books at ryanhoytauthor.com, where I have signed copies, or on Amazon or other online bookstores. My fantasy books include The Forest of Despair, the just-released sequel novel, The Isle of Abandonment, and this prequel novella, The Witch of Farathon. The final book in the series is expected to be released in late 2024. I'm working on that one right now. If you enjoy horror, I also have a novel called Raven Tree Hollow and four short story chapbooks that you can find right now on Amazon in ebook and paperback formats or on Kindle Unlimited. Stay tuned after this chapter for a behind the scenes look at the creation of the story. Thank you so much for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. Previously on The Witch of Farathon, Nalia has been arrested when the nefarious priest Aaron uses his powers to hoodwink the town into believing Nalia is a murderous witch. Gethin visited her in her holding cell and experienced firsthand just how evil Prince Aaron is. Nalia explained that while her people are capable of the things she's accused of, she only ever took the essence of living things and never killed anyone. It was Aaron that pursued her from village to village, killing off those she left behind alive and well. And then an attack on Farathon begins. The Witch of Farathon, an Epistel Chronicles novella by Ryan Hoyt. Chapter 12. It wasn't the screams that brought Gethin out of the holding cell behind the constable's office. The ground quaked and plaster from the ceiling rained down on Gethin and Nalia. He left her under a sturdy table and went to see what kind of danger they were in. Outside, it was chaos. People were running toward the center of town, nearly plowing him over in their attempt to get away from something unseen. More rumbling. A pattern. Pounding footsteps. Run, Gethin, it's coming! Petra Aleni shouted as she sped past him. A large piece of brick siding from a building came flying through the air and smashed down on the woman only seconds later. Gethin stared at the bloody mess in shock until a shadow fell over him. He turned to find an Ogressi towering over him, salivating as if the beast were looking at its next meal. It started to reach its oversized hands toward him when more booming footsteps revealed the presence of another giant. The newcomer tackled the first Ogressi, and they both fell onto the seamstress's shop behind the constable's office. While the monstrous creatures wrestled over which one got to claim Gethin, he took off running to fetch Nalia. She was already waiting for him at the door. Come on, Nalia, we have to get away from here. He reached for her hand, but she refused to take it. If I run, they will use it against me. If you don't run, there will be no more of you left for them to accuse. And that is how they want it, my love. 
Nalia gestured down the street. They will blame me for all this madness. Two blocks away, one of the giants was consuming the bottom half of Marston Hiller. The tanner would never sell his leather goods again. Even at that distance, Gethin could see the man's insides evacuating the upper half of his body. A horse-drawn cart flew over a row of buildings and smashed down into the gravel just 20 feet from them. The remains of the animal that had pulled it still attached. Blood splattered onto Nalia. To the east, a fire raged, probably started when the chaos had made its way to the forges in one of the smith's shops. From the west, another giant approached. There's no time to worry about what they'll say, Nalia. We must run. He grabbed her hand and started to tug, but she overpowered him and pulled back her hand. Gethin fell into the street, and an Ogressi took advantage of the fall and lunged forward. Gethin closed his eyes, preparing for death, but death did not come. A moment later, Gethin felt hot breath blowing on him like a wretched moist wind, and he opened his eyes to find himself face to face with the Ogressi. He slid away on his back, unconcerned with the gravel scraping his scalp until he was free. To his shock, the Ogressi was hovering in the air. He looked to Nalia, who had her hands held out toward the beast. You see, dear mare, Nalia Lunara has full control over these beasts, Eren said, arriving on the scene with Mayor Wilder, Constable Buckland, and several onlookers. The only person here she has chosen to protect is her own lover, and even he is not safe from harm. Nobody in this town is. She will destroy you all if you do not execute her immediately. Nalia turned toward the priest, but the words she spoke were not aimed at him. She uttered an incantation, then pushed at the air. The Ogressi flew across the street and slammed through the butcher's shop, flattening the building. But she must stand trial, Buckland said. That's how we do things in this town. We have rules. Order. Order? Aaron asked. Look around you, my friend. Can a trial really bring order in the midst of the carnage she has brought? The moment life leaves this witch's body, order will come but not until then. Do what must be done. The priest is right, Mayor Wilder said. I don't like it any more than you, but he is right. All the dark deeds that have happened in this town started with her arrival. That cannot be a coincidence. The gallows are ready for her. Let us begin. No, Griffin yelled. He started to get to his feet when Aaron made a small motion with his hand, unseen by the town officials. Gethin was slammed back to the street by an invisible force. He tried to open his mouth and scream, but no voice came. His lungs were quickly filling with fluid, and he struggled even to breathe. Constable Buckland approached Nalia. She surrendered once again without a fight. I beg you, Constable Buckland, Tell me whether the children are safe, Nalia said to her captor as he led her toward the northeast corner of town. Aye, they're safe. They were at the school when the destruction started, and they evacuated to the manor. What do you care, though, witch? This is your doing, isn't it? 
Nalia didn't answer. She was relieved that the children had been kept away from the destruction. But there was also fear in her, fear of seeing Gethin's distraught face. She didn't dare look back at him. Not realizing he was struggling to breathe in the street behind her, she marched on with the constable and the mayor, followed by the crowd. Chaos continued around Gethin as he lay dying, but the beasts didn't seem to care about a man at the edge of eternal slumber, and they left him alone. Spoiled meat, he must have seemed to them. His vision faded as his own lungs drowned him. Darkness consumed him. Until it didn't. Come on, Gethin! The woman's voice came in spurts between presses on his chest, she put her lips to his, and he knew they weren't those of his lover, but they did belong to one who loved him dearly. He was swimming in blackness, failing to surface in the lake that was his life. With every pump, every breath she put into him, he was lifted closer to the top, but it was not enough. Now the water that consumed his consciousness did not feel wet, but thick and scratchy. It felt like wool, but it was dark like the depths of the cave he had nearly died in not long before. But like that fateful night in the cave, he was rescued. The veil was lifted from his eyes. It was blackness of the lamb his lover had slaughtered and used to ensnare him. And the water consumed him once again. Damn it, come on! He was moving up, up, up. A light, a blessed beam of sunlight. And now he could see. There was a shape beyond the surface, a silhouette. Was it Nalia? He continued moving upward. His head broke the surface of consciousness. Sana? He asked as he gasped for air. He turned and coughed up the fluids that had nearly killed him. Sana, where is she? Where did they take Nalia? He struggled to get to his feet. Sana tried to guide him back down, but he gently pushed her away. You must rest, she said. You don't want to see what they're about to do. There's no stopping them. Sana, back at the wedding reception, did you see what she did when I had the attack on my lungs? She could have let me die, but she didn't. She could have let the town perish at the hands of those beasts, but she didn't. I remember now. I remember everything, clearly. I did see, and I felt the goodness in her. I know it's there, but she's dangerous. So many are dying right now at the hands of the Ogressi she called to attack us. It's her revenge for being arrested. She didn't do it. I was with her in the cell when this began. It was that priest. He has some kind of dark powers. We must stop him. He said she's destroyed villages, though. No, she used the villages in order to survive, but she did not destroy them. It was Eren who chased her away from those places. It was Eren who did the things he blames her for. Gethin saw the look of realization on his friend's face, but he didn't wait for her to admit that she believed him. He took off running, toward the estate at the edge of town, despite the wheezing in his rattling lungs. When Gethin was a child, his father had created the Farmers Association of Farathon. Jensen Deverak had brought together nearly all the crop and livestock producers in the region. They had met up monthly, shared tips and tricks, and found camaraderie with each other. They had organized to demand better rates from their merchants. They had coordinated a weakened farmer's market where they were able to set their own prices without paying a middleman. Farathon had always been an outlier from society. 
Wedged at the north end of the Forest of Despair, it was too far away from Epistel for the kings to lay claim to their lands. To the west, the forest stretched for hundreds of miles until it met the sea, with only the castle of the Vizenya, whom most people referred to as the Ancient Ones, nestled in a small valley. Those beings had no interest in ruling the Farathani. The town's nearest neighbors were just fifty or so miles to the north in Emerson, but their kings had always seemed content with Farathon's independence, which the Farathani celebrated. It was an integral to their culture. They were a stubborn lot. So it wasn't too surprising when a couple of the farmers in town had declined to join Jensen Deverack's Farmer Association. Wayla Pullman had been chief among the detractors. She had argued that the dues were akin to taxes, and the town already charged enough of those. She had argued that it was a play for power by Jensen, even though he had never thirsted for such a thing. She had remained independent, negotiating her own contracts, and farming in her own way, without the help and advice of the others, and she had prided herself on that. And then, a particularly harsh year had struck. Everyone in town had suffered. A cold front had fallen upon the town in the autumn, ending the harvest early. Animals and crops alike had frozen and died off. By winter, the food stores had been low. The members of the association had pooled their resources to provide for each other and the rest of town. By the start of the new year, Wayla Pullman hadn't been seen for several weeks, but she had declared that she would take care of herself, that she had enough in her stores to make it through. Nobody had seemed too concerned for her, but Jensen couldn't help but feel he had isolated her with his association. One afternoon, he had braved a freak blizzard and ventured across town to the northwestern outskirts. Wayla hadn't answered when he pounded on her front door. He had decided to check her barn, and that was where he found her, dead, alone. The story had always haunted Gethin's father, and yet, after Jensen's untimely death when Gethin was a teenager, Gethin had found himself pulling away from society, like Wayla Pullman. The people of Farathon knew how to look out for each other, though, thanks to Jensen's association. They hadn't let Gethin suffer alone. They had brought meals to him, worked in his fields while he mourned, and helped him get back on his feet as the sole proprietor of the Deverack farm. He had never been truly alone. Not like now. Everyone in town had fled the attacks of the Ogressi. The giants were still smashing buildings on every block he passed, but there were no people to be seen. They had all run up to Farathon Manor for protection. Sana was behind him somewhere, perhaps the only other person who hadn't yet gone inside the walls of the estate. She had been one of his closest friends for most of his life, but it seemed that now she was against him in her distrust of Nalia. He was alone. He stumbled down 2nd Street, along the east edge of the park, his wheezing growing louder by the second. He leaned down and coughed out a wad of phlegm that was blocking his throat. A couple of steps later, he collapsed onto the sidewalk from the shortness of breath. Calm, he told himself. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out. Focus. He pinched a pressure point between his thumb and pointer finger on his left hand and held it for several seconds. 
It usually helped stop the panic that began every time his wheezing flared up. He coughed again. This time, blood was mixed in with the phlegm. The wheezing got worse, but he had to keep moving. The mayor, the constable, and the priest had Nalia, and they meant to execute her. He had to stop them somehow. He had to save her. He got back to his feet and looked up. He was face to knee with one of the Ogressi. He tipped his head toward the sky to see its face. It reached its right hand down and scooped him up, lifting him until he was at its eye level. Gethin's heart raced. His lungs attempted to take in more air, but they were clogged. Gethin coughed up what he could and spat, not trying to hit the Ogressi, though that was unavoidable. His captor seemed to hear Gethin's struggle to breathe. It sniffed and must have caught the smell of death on him. Instead of consuming Gethin, the giant merely tossed him over the grass and into a pond. Cold water overtook Gethin. It wasn't particularly deep, but in his condition, he couldn't fight its pull. I'll die here alone, he thought, just like Wayla Pullman. Nobody will be there to advocate for Nalia. We're both doomed. This is the end. In his last moments, he remembered his childhood, being raised by a wonderful father, being embraced by the Fielder family, and being supported by the townspeople. His brief years of adulthood had been too busy to be lonely, or so he had thought until he had met Nalia. After she had come into his life, he hadn't been able to imagine ever living without her. She had given him the best few days of his life. What else can top that, he wondered. He closed his eyes and let the darkness consume him. By the time Sonnefielder arrived to revive him once more, it was too late. Alright, well that was chapter 12 of The Witch of Farathon by me, Ryan Hoyt, here on the Machete and Quill podcast. The penultimate chapter, that's right, the next episode is our final chapter of this novella. In this chapter, I was excited to bring back the Ogressi. In the Forest of Despair, there are only two of these wild giants remaining when we meet them, and they're not anywhere near at their full strength. They hardly present a threat at all. Yet here we see the Ogressi in their prime, destroying the town and marauding and killing. We see why Nalia and the people of Farathon seemed to be so afraid of them in the Forest of Despair. I think it also goes to show the tragedy of Nalia and the village of Farathon. They isolated themselves between this book and the events of the Forest of Despair. They cut themselves off and they hid behind Nalia's magic and they became just like that story that's told here of Wayla Pullman, dying alone while the rest of society flourishes around them. And then, unbeknownst to the people of Farathon, the Ogressi were reduced to two sickly and crippled old souls left, but they continued to hide in the safety of their town for years. They could have lived for so much more. Well, it was quite sad to see Nalia resigning herself to arrest and the impending execution, turning her back 
on her own husband as he lay dying in the street. Had she realized he was having one of his asthma attacks right then, I think she would have sacrificed her peaceable nature and killed everyone around her to save him. That would have been something to see, but alas, she didn't. She went off peacefully. I don't remember when I decided to kill off the main character, Gethin. Just that I knew he had to be out of the picture before the time of the Forest of Despair. So it made sense to tie it in with the fate of the town and of Nalia, which we will get into a little more next week in the final chapter of The Witch of Ferrothon. Well, I can't wait to show you what happens next in the final chapter. You can find out for yourself sooner if you would like to purchase a copy of the book in paperback, hardcover, or ebook. You can find it at ryanhoytauthor.com shop or on Amazon or other online retailers. Thank you so much for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. The songs on the podcast are all original compositions and recordings by me. I'm your host, Brian Hoyt. Until next time, when we finish this story, take care. Thank you.